Good evening, Winneka Bible Church. This evening, we mark a Good Friday that is unlike almost every other Good Friday before. Year after year, for century after century, Christians around the world have gathered to remember and commemorate the crucifixion of our hero, Jesus Christ. Christian churches of all heritages and backgrounds and denominations gather to reflect on this, the darkest day in human history. People gather to light candles, sing songs of worship, and look together at the spiritual and historical account of Jesus Christ going to the cross. However, this Good Friday, we are not gathered together. There's only a couple people in this building with me. The rest of you are hopefully gathered in your homes together, maybe sipping a cup of tea. And while we would rather be gathered than scattered, in our scattering, we can also gain an insight into that very first Good Friday. See, see, while we are in our homes scattered for the sake of public health and caring for our neighbor, the events on Good Friday scattered the disciples for a different reason. They were scattered because terror had overtaken them. The events of Good Friday inflicted terror upon mankind. That happenings of Good Friday shook humanity to the core. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. The earth trembled and quaked. The creator of all was executed by his own creation. Through our Easter season, we've seen the unique glow of the light of Christ amongst the darkness of mankind. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Keith took us to John chapter 1, which we read some of today, where we saw the traits of the light of Christ. Last week, we went to John chapter 8 to see the true reality of Christ's light in the world. And today, in John chapter 18, we see the dark of night attempt to overcome the light of Christ. And we'll see the terrors of that dark day. In this account, we see three different types of terror on display during the night of Good Friday. So the question that I'd like us to be considering as we look to today's Good Friday text is, what does the terror of Good Friday mean for me? What does the terror of Good Friday mean for you? First, we'll see the terror of Christ's purpose. Second, we'll see the terror of Christ's power. And third, we'll see the terror of Christ's promise. So as we reflect upon the night of Christ's arrest, consider the scene with me. Jesus and his disciples arrive at a garden, And we know from other gospel accounts, this garden goes by the name the Garden of Gethsemane, found right at the base of the Mount of Olives, across from the brook of Kidron. Now, 
it's worth noting that this was not the first time that Jesus and his disciples had been to this garden. In fact, they'd been there multiple times. It's quite possible to make multiple Sabbath trips to this garden to meet and to pray. And Judas would have known that. And Jesus knew that Judas knew. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. So Jesus could have chosen any number of locations to go with his disciples, a location they'd never been before, but Jesus chose to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas knew exactly where to find him. So Judas gathered together a group that contained representatives of every power of authority in Jerusalem. They had Roman soldiers who served at the pleasure of Caesar. They had officers from the chief priests, officers from the Pharisees, and they were armed and ready to arrest Jesus and anybody who stood in their way or tried to rebel against their authority. Now, as they arrived on the scene in the garden, I'd like you to take a look at verse 4 with me. This is verse 4 of chapter 18. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? So, let's pause there. Jesus stepped forward and he knew all, everything that would happen to him. Jesus knew every single detail of what was to come. He, he knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas. He knew his disciples were going to be scattered. He knew that Peter would deny knowing him three times. He knew every accusation that the Sanhedrin and the priests would levy against him. He knew every lash of every whip that was to fall on his back, every tip of every spear that was to pierce him as he was beat. He knew the shame of carrying a cross of wood through the streets of Jerusalem while the very same people who days before cried out, Hosanna, cried, crucify him. He knew the excruciating pain of every nail being hammered into his hands, his arms, his feet, his legs. He knew the intensity of the gravity dragging him down as the nails pinned him to that block of wood. Jesus knew before it ever happened every bit of human pain he was to endure. But Jesus knew of a far greater terror to come. He was about to experience an aspect of God that he had never known before. He was about to efface the wrath of God. He was about to take on the just penalty for the sinfulness of mankind. He knew this day would come, and now it was here. He knew he was about to encounter the wrath of God for the enmity of mankind. So the second person, the Trinity, the Son of God, and God himself was about to take on the wrath of an infinite God. This was his mission. This was his goal. This was his purpose. Brothers and sisters, we must be reminded 
that our sinfulness warrants the wrath of God. That we have sinned against an infinite God and in doing so we have sinned infinitely against a holy and good God. God in his justice must deal severely with sin. And Jesus knew that. Moments before Judas arrived on the scene, Jesus fell to the ground of the garden and he cried out, Father, if it is at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, I know everything is in your hands. If there is any other way, let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done. And as Jesus earnestly cried out and pleaded with God, beads of blood fell from the temple of his head. He was under strain. He was under agony. The night of Good Friday was darkened by the terror of Christ's purpose. Jesus, the spotless blood, spotless lamb of God, purposed to bear the wrath of God for sinners. And yet, Jesus, the light of the world, willingly stepping into that darkness. So Christ's purpose to bear the wrath of God is the first terror of Good Friday. Yet Jesus stepped forward and he asked, Whom do you seek? And with Judas standing at their side, this mob of men said, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this is amazing. Take a look at verse 6 with me to see how this unfolds. This is Verse 6 of chapter 18. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Let's pause there. This group of men, brazenly bearing torches and arms, were knocked to their feet, knocked off their feet by one man saying three simple words. I am he. So, kids, next time you're at the doctor and you're in the waiting room and the doctor comes to call your name for your appointment, go ahead and try and say, I am he, or I am her. I can guarantee you they will be not be knocked to the floor in terror. What was it about these three words that struck terror into the hearts and minds of these men. Did he jump out at them while he was saying it? Maybe it was his tone. Did he say it in a surprising way? Well, the text doesn't give us any indication to believe either of those things. What is it about Jesus' simple and accurate statement about who he is that knocked these men to the ground like a bunch of bowling pins? In Exodus chapter 3, which we'll look at in the coming months as we continue on in our Out of Egypt series, 
Moses is speaking to God and God is speaking to him out of this burning bush. And God instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh release the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Now, Moses was very unsure of this whole situation. He was thinking, who am I to have these people out here? So he went to God and he said, who am I to tell these people who sent me if they ask her? And God responded, tell the people of Israel, I am who I am. It is I am who sent you. In this tense moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, I am who I am. I am the God who spoke the world into existence. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Even as they came to arrest Jesus and put him to death, he proclaims, I am who I am. The second terror of Good Friday is the terror of the God-man, Jesus Christ. On Christmas, we celebrate one name in particular, Emmanuel, God with us. And on Good Friday, we behold the terror of that very same name, Emmanuel, God with us. For centuries past, humanity had lived in darkness, Darkness was all that mankind knew. Friends, when darkness is all that you know, a beam of light can be the most terrifying sight to behold. Even turning on the bathroom lights at an early hour in the morning can be a shock to our senses. When light shines into darkness, everything is illuminated, every detail exposed. Have you ever stopped to consider the sheer magnitude of the fact that a holy and perfect creator God lived among sinful and broken people. That God who existed from eternity past created boundless universes, galaxy upon galaxy, molecules and mountains. This God-man Jesus Christ humbled himself to walk with prostitutes and tax collectors and criminals. And then he submitted himself to be arrested, to be beaten, to be executed upon a hill. As the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. But even so, in Jesus Christ, the power of God was on display. And it is a terror for all of mankind to behold. So we've seen the terror of Christ's purpose in bearing the wrath of God. And we've seen the terror of Christ's power as God himself. And lastly, consider the terror of Christ's promise. After his first statement knocked the men to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked again, Whom do you seek? And these guys are somehow able to pick themselves off the ground and dust 
their robes off, and again repeat, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Check out what Jesus says in verse 8. This is verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Jesus says, all right, it's me you want. So let these men walk free. Why is it that Jesus is so clear in his instructions to let the disciples go? Well, the author, John, shed some light on this in verse, chap- verse 9. Take a look. This is verse 9 of chapter 18. John writes, This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now, the word to which John is referring here is from Jesus' high priestly prayer in chapter 17. You can look up just a few lines there in your text. John uh, chapter 17, verse 12. Take a look at that with me. Jesus prays, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas there. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Wow, all right, so we're not just talking about an arrest here. He's not just talking about uh, misplacing one of his disciples. He's talking about something much greater. When Jesus says he has not lost one of his disciples, he's not talking about just losing them. He's not talking about their criminal record. He's not even talking about death. Jesus is speaking here of the type of lost and found that refers to eternal life and death. He's speaking of being found in God or being an enemy of God. Jesus' promise was to bring all of those whom the Father had called and given him from death to eternal life. Here Jesus says, I alone will be taken from this garden. I alone will bear the wrath of God for the sin of mankind. I alone will suffer the consequence of sin. So that all of those whom the Father has called will remain in his name. And nothing, absolutely nothing, will stop Jesus from fulfilling that promise. There was nothing that Judas could do to stop him. There was nothing that the Pharisees, the Sadducees could do to stop him. Not even the entire Roman army could stop Jesus from saving those whom the Father had given him. Satan himself could not stop Jesus from fulfilling his gospel promise. This is the third type of terror on display on Good Friday. The terror of our perfect, law-fulfilling, justice-satisfying Messiah holding over Satan. The terror that he holds over the evil one. The prince of darkness himself, with all of his scheming and all of his plotting, could never stop the light of the world from carrying out his purpose. 
The devil with all of his deception and all of his effort can never stop Jesus from being the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And you can be absolutely certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that this gospel that Jesus will fulfill terrifies Satan to the core. So we've talked about the terror of Christ's purpose. We've seen the terror of Christ's power. We've seen the terror that Christ holds over Satan through his promise to deliver the redeemed. But what does the terror of Good Friday mean for me and for you? How ought we to respond to Good Friday? In response to the terror of Christ's purpose in bearing the wrath of God, are we to feel guilty for the sin that we contributed? In response to the terror of Christ's power, should we cower in fear? In response to the terror of Christ's promise to secure his chosen should we try our best to add to that security? All of these reactions might be somewhat natural, but is this how we as Christians are to respond? Well, at the end of this evening's text, we see Peter rise to action. As Christ is being Led away, Peter unsheathes his sword and swings rampantly at one of the priest's servants, Malchus. And with his great fisherman athleticism, he manages to slice off the servant's ear. So Peter, in an effort to help, accomplished nothing but chopping off this poor chap's ear. From other gospel accounts, we know that Jesus, as one of his last healing miracles before he was arrested, reaches out and touches Malchus's ear to heal him. Take a look at verse 11 to see what Jesus says to Peter. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? Here... Jesus effectively says, you know, Peter, you're not accomplishing anything here. I am going alone. You won't even be arrested for this assault. Jesus says, Peter, don't you know that this is my purpose, not yours? Don't you know that this war will be won by my power, not yours? Don't you know that this must be done, that I fulfill my promise, not yours? Friends, how ought we to respond to Good Friday? Should we feel guilty? No. Christ took our guilt upon himself. So look at the cross and see the awful purpose of the Lamb of God slain for sinners. Should we be afraid? No. Christ's power is for us. Look to the cross and see the powerful act of Christ redeeming his people. Should we try to secure our place in the kingdom? 
No. Christ has secured our place for us. So look to the cross and see Jesus fulfilling his promise to restore us to God. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, then no more is required of you. No more is asked of you. Everything that we need, we have in Jesus. It is finished. So look to the cross. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that it is you who faced terror upon that cross. We thank you for laying down your life and bearing the wrath that we deserved. Lord Christ, we praise you and we worship you for fulfilling your promise and reconciling us to God. We don't deserve it. We never deserved it. The wrath you bore is our wrath that we deserved. Instead, we wear your righteousness. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in our place condemned you stood, sealed our pardon with your blood. O Lord, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.